Hello, Grognard listeners. This is Dean Geiken of the Grognards. I just wanted to say that uh, the Grognards are going to be taking a little bit of a break. The reason for that is because the facilities that we use for our recording is going to be closed. It's part of a community college, and we're going to be closed for the next few weeks and possibly a little bit longer. So in efforts to kind of curb the spread of uh, the COVID-19 virus, they're going to be shutting down portions of the college and the radio station that we use, the recording studio, is one of them. Unfortunately, that means we won't have any new podcasts for you, but I'm sure that you'll survive. I do want to thank you for listening to us in the uh, two years that we've been on the air doing podcasts, and we will be back. Don't worry about that. We will be back. So I do hope that you are safe and that you're healthy. And please, don't give in to your fears and don't give in to the fears of anyone else. We'll get through this. We'll come out on the other side okay. And we'll get into the Grognard podcasting again. My suggestion, sit down with a few of your loved ones if you're all healthy and play some games. Game on. I'm glad we decided to abandon the campaign that you all made characters based on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I know you guys can be way more creative than that. I'm really looking forward to running a new campaign in Eberron. Let's see your characters. Wait, you all made Warforged? We have Bumblebee the Bard, Lightning McQueen the Wizard, Short Circuit the Cleric, and T-800 the Assassin? Oh my. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Grognards. My name is Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And today we are back in the studio going to be taking a look at another bit of information on the beast. Well, they're not the beast, the monsters. Monsters. Of d The mobs, the, the bad guys. Yes. The ones we like to kill. The nuisances. Yes, so we are going to be taking a look. We are going alphabetically, and we are now up to the constructs. We've done aberrations, beasts, and celestials. We are now in the constructs. Yeah, we got some good ones coming up, too. Constructs, yeah, another, <laughs> another tiny group. Not one that you encounter a whole lot of, unless it maybe be like golems. Golems. Yeah. Yeah, golems. We've got to talk be... about that. It's a lot of golems. Yeah. That's true. People always making stuff. So let's talk about that, but not before we talk about what we've been doing over the last week or so with the games people play. All right, gentlemen, what you guys been doing? It's not been that long since we last got together. Now we're trying to get back on a normal schedule for recording. Yeah. Well, what is normal? <laughs> Ideally, every two weeks. Yeah, but, you know, it, it gets tricky. It's, it's the dream. So I, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but convention season has started. Yes, that's that's been the focus of my past couple weeks. And I, you've been attending a couple, um, and Greg and I have been kind of planning for one. Planning for one. Can we yeah. talk a little bit about GaryCon? Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the dumpster fire that was registration oh. on the official first day of registration. You know, I don't want to. The Smirch Gary Con. It's a group of it's a good group of people that put it on. Well, and it right. isn't Gary Con's fault that this happened. And it is. It was not. It was tabletop events. Yeah, which tabletop events is a website for those that don't know that does a lot of cons, and mm-hmm. they do way larger cons than Gary Con. Yes. So the fact that the site crashed 
for Gary Khan was just really a fluke. Crashed. It. I mean, it literally. Yeah, and, oh, and it was horrible. I didn't read the detailed explanation, but apparently what happened was there was a, a cache server for logging on or something, and that became yeah, it, overloaded. Yeah, it was just it was yeah, it simply had to do with the logins. Yeah. So it just everybody just kept getting logged out, and then it wouldn't let you log back in, and and it wouldn't let you. Yeah, and I don't think that had anything out. to do with Gary Khan. No, it just, no the no, timing was such that it was the Gary Khan rush that was going on when the the server sort of yeah. fizzled. But yeah, it happened when I wanted to register, so it affects me. Yeah, but it turned out for you guys. <laughs> uh, right? It turned out pretty good for me. So yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I had the issue that I could not actually, uh, we'll call it, purchase any tickets, even though they cost nothing. But they all got into my cart, and then there was some word that they were going to delete everything, wipe the carts clean, and then everybody's going to do it again on another day. People they, flipped their shit. Oh, yes. Yeah. And they <laughs> backed away from that and said, if you got something into your cart but we're not able to check out, it will still be there. Yeah. So fortunately for me, I had once we finally got around to really registering, I got 100% of what I wanted. Yeah, you did the high-risk, high-reward strategy, which was just to get everything in your cart. I went the other route because I saw they were having problems, so I checked out after I got my top two events. Not a bad idea. So I know I had those because they weren't going to take those away, although there was no guarantee of that either. And I actually got four out of my top five. And Not bad. My other event, it's uh, we've talked about it before, Carlos Lising. He yeah. runs first edition AD&D's publisher. He puts out some some modules. And I really enjoy playing in his games, but his, so do a lot of other people. And I think he only runs three or four games, six-person so games. Him? So I didn't manage to get yeah. him, which isn't surprising. I mean, a lot, there weren't many tickets left by the time we were allowed to register anyway. My, See, and I did in between the two of you is I did half of my events and then checked out and then went to do the other half. So I tried to do all the things I really, really wanted. And so I got six events right off the get-go. And then three in the cart when things crash. So I ended up basically getting nine things right off the get-go yeah. and then signed up for three more. So I'm in 12 events. How oh. many are you in? Wow, mine mine was... Uh... I think I'm doing nine. You have a crazy schedule. You're, yeah. You have uh, yeah. no breaks. I, ha I left I some do. breaks in there. I have two there. breaks. I have a three-hour break on Thursday yeah. and a one-hour <laughs> break on Saturday. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you can take uh, a nap. I know. I, thir I yeah, thir Thursday I'm getting up at eight and... and passing out at midnight and and hoping that I can get some table service somewhere in between. I don't know if it's your computers, your speed of your Wi-Fi or whatever it is, but <laughs> I had sorry. literally, oh, yeah, I know, I know. It's kind of an inside joke that... Yeah, my, my, my internet is slow <laughs> and my laptop is slower. Slower. I, but, just, uh, I just got lucky. Mine was crashing from the get-go. I could... I was lucky if I could get things into my cart... Well, it was crashing as I was getting things into my cart, but then fortunately when it all came uh, came around to finally when they put the fire out, everything was there so and I was ready I mean, to it go. sounds like it all it still worked out for all it, of it us. Kind of, yeah, it kind yeah. of did. Yeah, yeah see, I, normally I don't have things planned out very well. I'm late and all that kind of stuff. This time, I had all of my stuff, all of the events I wanted. I had opened them up in individual tabs. Same here. So, yeah, all I had to do was click, 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 right. do, do, do. And, yeah, that's – and, and I have no idea why it went so well. I could, I could not yeah. log in as me. So. It kept – every time I uh, said add cart or add ticket to cart, yeah. it would log me out. And so it, how many things are you in? I am in eight different things. Eight? 
Uh, I think I have nine, but I signed up to r- help run an adventure. What, what are you like in 13 or 14? I'm in 12. 12? 12 things. So, 10, 10 different game systems. So I think the other takeaway <laughs> wow, from impressive. this, <laughs> the other takeaway from this, a convention pro tip is if something like this happens and you really want something, keep checking back yeah. because people will drop events and then you can just hop into them. They that, have waiting lists. Get on the waiting works list. works a lot for conventions. So the other thing that's been going on convention-wise, I haven't attended any conventions, I don't think, although things get blurry more than two days ago. (laughs) But I'm prepping for conventions. I have a module I'm trying to write for DICON down in St. Louis. Yeah, March, April, May. That's like your April's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, DICON, I'm writing the mod. That's not till June, but I have to have the mod done, obviously. Uh, D8 Summit is in April, and that's the one prep for. I just did an interview for that for another podcast last night and we're having meetings every two weeks to prep for that and then gen con i'm waiting for event approval because i've traditionally run thermal plastic and eva foam for cosplay but this year i'm adding a make a leather dice tray uh, a custom leather dice tray so basically teaching people how to work leather and in the process they're going to get a dice tray out of it which is a pretty good deal and and a pretty easy thing to make too are you concerned in any way shape or form that you won't get approved no, that one I think is fine. The other one is I w- was asked by people who have been to several of my workshops to offer an electrical and electronic components in cosplay workshop, which I'm fine doing, but I didn't realize part of that is teaching people how to solder. It's not real hard to do basic soldering, but then somebody told me that Gen Con doesn't like soldering irons. And I wasn't going to have a ton of them, but I needed enough that people could practice, you know, yeah. put together a couple wires. And Depending on how fire. sensitive the uh, fire system is, it could set off some alarms. Yeah, we're not going to be doing that much. Do they realize that you're running a whole bunch of heat guns in your plastics? I thing, only run so. three heat guns, <laughs> which draws way more amps than a soldering yeah. iron. Oh, yeah. yeah. So do they have rules against soldering irons or just strongly suggested against well the the person who told me actually runs a stained glass workshop and he wanted to do some soldering iron stuff with that now i I, that probably involves a lot more and he's the one that goes oh they wouldn't approve that for me so now i don't know if mine will will sort of sneak through or not but i don't want to start buying a thousand dollars worth of electronic components (laughs) before i get approval for the event so that's sort of in limbo when will you know? I think event approval is coming up here within the next month. I know the submission deadline's uh, quickly approaching. Yeah, the uh, fan book page for Gen Con is starting to really ramp up in terms of the people who are... Well, one, they had to deal with the housing portal issues. Yeah. Well, there were no issues, just they didn't get what they wanted. Um, and two, they seem to forgot that they attended Gen Con last year, and they have the same damn questions. Oh, I, you know, the Facebook group. I love the people. I have to be downtown. Yes. I, everybody has to be downtown. You know, that's, I don't even read those posts anymore. But And then we have our local convention, MageCon, put, put on yeah. by our, our friend Dan Webb, and Greg and I both help out with that. We're, I guess, on the board, so to speak. As it were. Um, <laughs> but... We're starting to plan for that and get schedules done, and that's not till July. But these conventions take, take that time. much effort, you know. They gotta gotta get everything set up. So yeah, I need to get to working on that. And then, of course, our paint a mini a week. 
Are am, you still up to date? I am not up to date. Oh, I, no. I haven't touched Dominion in two weeks. Wow. I, all the ones that are half done are still half done. Now, I have <laughs> a whole herd of stench cows. There's like seven of them. That stinks. So my backup plan is to count that as seven. <laughs> exactly. That's what I do, my friend. Uh, that's what I'm doing with my 12 skeletons cheap. if I ever get them done. Yeah. So... Uh, We'll see. For those that don't know, stench cows are cattle in hell. Yes. And I'm going to be using them in the adventure I'm writing, actually. So I want to get them painted for that. Yeah. I'm still painting. I'm I'm up to date on my painting resolution. I'm trying to revamp, not revamp, kind of breathe life back into my gaming group at home. It's been like, I don't know, the winter just sucked the life out of us. And they just don't come in game anymore for... Like instead of once every week, it's now like twice a month. These are not the same thing. We we have a monthly group, and usually we're pretty on the ball for scheduling. And then I realized last week that we hadn't scheduled March yet, and March was quickly approaching, and now is here, and we're still trying to schedule our March. Yeah, so session. like March second, I think, is when we started scheduling March. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it comes and It'll goes, work out. ebbs and flows. So, um, anything you guys been doing that's out of the ordinary? Out of the, nope, nope, just right. Star Wars with me. Well, that is our segment. Games people play. Okay, let's head into. Let's put our work hats on because yes. we're going into the construction zone. <laughs> constructs. <laughs> constructs. Uh, oh, I thought we were going to be building buildings and uh, you know maps and things like that. No Lego Bob, podcast. Bob the yeah. Builder. That would be a good PC. Bob Ooh, the Builder. We can do it. We can do it. Uh, is that? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. I we see. I see a PC it. in my future. Um, so constructs, sort of a weird category. Yeah. Honestly. And part of the reason it's weird, and there's not, like, for this series, we usually try to focus on those monsters that started in ODD or AD&D mm-hmm. first, and sometimes we slip in the second edition. There weren't a lot of constructs in those early editions, mm-hmm. and things like like animated armors, living statues, like flying swords. Those weren't monsters. Those were more like environmental hazards. Uh-huh. Like you would throw them in, but but they didn't have monster stat blocks. They didn't have a template. They were just like, oh, and this, you know, thing comes to life. It's going to whack somebody or a sword's going to fly out and hit you and then fall to the ground. Or So there weren't a ton. The one that was around from the beginning was golems. Yeah. Yes. And that makes sense, knowing what we know. Golem or golem? I was about to ask that, Greg. <laughs> I think it is pronounced golem. It probably is because it's a originally a you know Jewish tradition. That sounds like a, a Hebrewish pronunciation or Yiddish. I or think sometimes there's some umlauts floating around in there. But I say either. golem because <laughs> I'm from New Jersey and not Jewish, so <laughs> we would. See, I think either one probably works. Wonder what Professor Tolkien would say. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes, exactly. Gollum, Gollum. And I guess it makes sense because what we know about Gygax, and you know, I always laugh that uh, the Appendix N podcast they have a little bit they do and they talk about the high Gygaxian word of the day. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is sort of fun. Well, there's a point at which anything that was in mythology or folklore, Gary probably knew about it, and he probably yeah. stuck it into his game and. and Golems are a huge part of uh, the Hebrew tradition. So, you know, they, they date back to the Talmud even, going back that far. But then there's a a golem of Prague from, I think, the 15 or 1600s. And this was a golem that 
protected the the citizens against the you know uh, the attacks against Jews. And one of the interesting things about this golem was that it had writing on its forehead, and the word that was written out said truth. But if you removed one of the letters, it changed the word into death, and that's how you destroyed the golem. Was to oh, really? Oh, that one letter, yeah, yeah. Go- golem does seem to be sort of a neut, you know, in its origins, a neutral creature, yes. not neither yeah. good nor bad, but sort of operating at the whim of its creator. Yep. Um, and originally, they were mostly made out of clay. That was a thing. Yeah. They, you, you'd fashion yeah, them out of clay. That's, and that's biblical. So yeah. Yeah. So are people in theory. So. Mm-hmm. And and that's where they started in D and D. Clay golems started strategic review number four in 1975. So if we remember our timeline, ODD came out in 74. A D and D started in 77. So you know it was essentially an ODD original D and D brown box, con, you know construct. Huh? Mm-hmm. Little, little pun there. It's <laughs> gonna happen a lot, isn't it? Golems are nasty. <laughs> Right. So, they are. yes, they are. You know, you have flesh, which are generally the weakest clay, stone and iron. I'm gonna, are... Let's take a look at the iron one since I've got D&D. OK. Up. Well, do you do you want to hear about the, the iron one and AD&D? Yeah, let's go. Let's them. compare them. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they're very rare. They had 80 hit points, which doesn't sound like a lot in fifth edition. No. But in, in original D&D, it was a, a big deal. They had to be made by a magic user, magic user of 18th level or higher. <laughs> and they had to use the following spells. Wish, polymorph any object, Gaia's, and cloud kill. Cost you 1,000 gold pieces per hit point. So, Whoa. Yeah, 80,000 gold pieces and three months of construction time. Dang. It was always under control of the magic user. They were, in addition to their striking attacks, which was one attack for 4 to 40 points of damage... They could breathe a cloud of poisonous gas, which was one inch by one inch, one, one inch, which is 10 by 10 by 10, unless it's outdoors, in which case. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it could do that once every seven melee rounds. So, and sometimes AD&D combats did go that's, more than seven melee nasty. rounds. Oh, yeah. They can only be struck by plus three or greater magical weapons. Wow. Anything less than that does no damage. Wow. So that's their big defense. Now, in, in original D&D, weapons went up to plus five. Wow. So by the time you got to plus three, you were you were pretty decent level. Um, in addition, any electrical attacks slow the monster by fifty percent for three melee rounds. Electrical attack, but fire attacks repair one point of damage for every point it does. Huh. All right. And yeah. they they it has a special thing that they are affected by attacks from rust monsters. Yes. So if you have oh, to fight nice. an iron golem, wrangle up some rust yes. monsters. Well, the Iron Golem in uh, 5th edition is 210 hit points with a 20d10 plus 100 formula for it. So take your average 210 hit points. Armor class of 20. Mm-hmm. And it still has the fire absorption thing. Uh, whenever it is subjected to fire, it regains hit points instead of uh, taking damage. Uh, let's see here. It is uh, has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. It does not say that it has to be hit by anything magical in terms of the weaponry. No, at least that I'm saying. It's our magic weapon, the golem's weapon. Oh, the golem weapon's attack. The, so yeah, that yes, would be up so their the, attacks are magical. Damage immunities and yeah. damage resistances. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a multi-attack. It takes two melee attacks, uh, a slam, and a sword. It also has a poison breath. Yep, kept that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that carried over. And you know what? That is, again, I'm going to harp on 5th edition. One of the things that I Ugh, don't like. 15-foot cone. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it breathes, breathes pretty far. I don't like that they got rid of that staged magic resistance or damage resistance, damage immunity. Right now, it's either magic or not magic. If it's magic, you can hit it. There's yeah. no plus one, plus two, plus three. I wish they would have mm -hmm. kept that. It gave a little more differentiation between the monsters. You know, or at the very least, give them damage resistance to, uh, you know, if they don't have a plus three weapon. So they take half damage. Let, them, let players still do damage. I really wish they had done that. Now, I have to admit, mm. so there's other kinds of golems, right? The, the other one is a flesh, you know, one of the other kinds is a flesh golem. Frankenstein. Yeah, basically Frankenstein. Only has 40 hit points. Uh, this is first edition, uh, AD&D. Two attacks for 2 to 16 each. And they, unlike the fire and lightning, um, it says normal weapons do not harm, but magic weapons have normal effects. So in this case, you only need a magic weapon to hit a flesh gallon. Spells of most sorts have no effect on such monsters, but fire or cold slow the golem for by 50% for 212 melee rounds. Electrical attacks restore damage to the golem in direct relation to the number of dice damage normally done. So in the flesh golem, the electrical attack heals it. In the yeah. iron golem, the fire attack heals it. And honestly, I've been playing D&D for... But 40 years, I can never remember which attack does which to which creature. I do the same thing with black puddings. I'm like, I know one of these attacks is going to be really bad, but I can't remember which one. Hmm. Yeah, it just kind of makes sense if you know the background of the creature. What were the but your character shouldn't know that. So What were the, the hit parts. points in first edition? The flesh golem was 40. 40. Uh, 93. But in remember, in, in first edition, if you're attacking with a longsword, you're doing a D8 of damage, and maybe an 18-100 strength gets you a plus 6 to damage. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have an 18-100. A straight 18 is plus 1, plus 3. Right. It's a, lower, it's a smaller and scale. And I'm, I'm pulling this from top of my head, so if these aren't exact numbers, somebody don't, don't berate me on the internet. But So, you know, each attack is a D8 plus 3. If you have a magic uh, plus 1 sword, you're doing plus 4. So it takes a while to get to 40 hit points when your your damage numbers tend to be smaller. There wasn't, yeah. you know, great weapon master. There wasn't feats that let you up the damage. You know, the way you increased damage was by getting more attacks. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't having plus 12 to an attack. Yeah. That, no. it, it, although, usually at higher levels, it was pretty easy to hit stuff. Their armor class on a flesh column is only 9. And remember, 10 is the worst armor class. I guess the stitches no. add some level of protection. Just thinking about what it is. I mean, it's... Yeah, just a, so it's a pile of dead people, so yeah, pretty easy to kill. Now, the clay golem, which was, you know, the, the OG, so to speak, they had to be created by a cleric of 17th level or higher, which, again, is a cleric who basically has all the spells they're going to get. And unless um, a magical tome, they, they, you could find a, a tome that would allow you to make golems. That could let you make it at lower levels, and that's true for pretty much all the golems, I believe. But they needed to be able to cast Resurrection, um, Animate Objects, Commune, Prayer, and Bless. So the first they have to make the golem out of clay. And this goes, again, back to the historical Jewish yeah. tradition. This is how they, they sort of did it. And then they sculpt it into a man-shaped form and do an uninterrupted ritual. Uh, you have to pay $20,000 worth of materials 
And vestments for the ritual cost another th- 30,000 gold pieces. So that is a decked-out cleric. Wow. Now, 30, presumably, you 30 can grand reuse for some those. robes, huh? Yeah. Wow. yeah some some nice robes. robes. Yeah. And then once they're created, there's a... It's under the command of the cleric, but, and again, this is AD&D where everything has an exception, right? Let's mm. let's throw in every monster has a special little rule. With a clay golem, each melee round in combat, there's a 1% cumulative chance that it will be imbued with a chaotic evil spirit. <laughs> if that happens. What? Yeah, for, so 1% for cumulative. So 1% first round, 2% second round. If that happens, the, the control... Passes from the control of the cleric, and it will it will begin attacking any living thing that's closest to it, and it mo- will move to the closest thing to attack. Um, and then it just continues that. If it kills something, it just goes to the next closest living thing. And that behavior will continue until the column is destroyed, um, and control can never be regained. Now, it's not clear if that carries over. I would really be honked off if I was the cleric that made that. I spent all that time and all that money, and then I use this (laughs) thing, and it freaks out on me. And it's going to happen because it doesn't say it resets at the end of combat. I guess that could be a DM ruling. But you can. That's weird. And I think that has to do with with the folklore around the golems. They become uncontrolled at some point, right? So so they sort of work that in. Now, still, if if the golem takes damage and you want to repair it, it's only repairable by a healing spell cast by a cleric of 17th level or higher. If you want to heal it, the clerics need to be the one. You can't just take a, a hunk of clay and stick it on there. Can't take it to the golem shop and have some schmuck fix it. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's you know, <laughs> Schmecky's golem oh, repair. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, and here's their defensive. They can only be struck by blunt magical weapons such as hammers and maces. Other weapons don't even affect it. So it doesn't matter if you have the Holy Avenger. It ain't affecting the Clay Golem because it's a slashing weapon. You need a blunt weapon. Spells do not affect it except the following. Move Earth, drives it back 12 inches or 120 feet. Yeah, it's because it's And Earth. inflicts 3 to 36 damage. Disintegrate slows it and inflicts 1 to 12 hit points of damage. And Earthquake, cast directly at a Clay Golem, will stop it from moving that turn and inflict 5 to 50 hit points of damage. So there's literally three mm. spells that affect a Clay Golem. And magical blunt weapons before it freaks out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm stuck on that. So. You know, they're, that's pretty nasty. I was yeah. going to say that's nastier than and, the fifth and edition. I'm sure one. that is not the equivalent in five e because in five e you can't give people stuff that's too frustrating. Yeah, that's true. We so what? To, what what's the nicer. nerfed clay golem sound like? <laughs> it's 133 points hit points armor class of 14. It's damage immunity. Armor are, class of 14. Yeah, everybody's hitting that. Yeah. Um, well, the flesh golem was nine. Well, yeah, but he's just a dead he's a guy, naked dead guy. <laughs> um, acid, poison, psychic, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't adamantine. That's the damage immunity. Yeah, so you need magic or adamantine. Yeah, what about uh, resistances? Are there condition resistances? There's condition immunities. Charmed, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, petrified, and poisoned. And the important one that's not on there, hmm. stunned. There are so few creatures that are immune to stun, and in my experience, once that monk gets stunning strike, any single creature becomes a, a rollover. It's going to fail that save at some point, and you're just going to... So, I wish more creatures had stun immunity, especially a golem. How do you stun a golem? Hey, it's your game. Do what you want. Well, That's true. You can put that in there. I, I And trust me, in my home game, I, I am liberal with the uh, rule revisions, but in Adventures League, you can't. All right. 
Let's move on. We skipped one. We went right to gold. Oh. Well, they, we talked about animated armor flaming sword. I guess it's. Because they yeah, weren't really creature-ish, so to speak. There might have been, at some point, they, they incorporated those. But truthfully, I couldn't find any in, in a relatively cursory internet search. I see that there's a whole bunch of other golems as well, some of which sound a little disturbing. Oh, yes. The brain, so, the, I, I want to know about the brain golem. Yeah, be, <laughs> because golems are so popular and they have such a long history, people have added stuff. And in the, across the D&D editions, we have had mud golems, obsidian golems. That's a, that's a golems. runny clay golem? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, spider, brain, spider spider hammer, stone. spider what stone. Spider I don't know. Stone. What is spider stone? Uh, it's some sort of stone. I mean, mm. there are a ton. Any, any material... That you can think of, somebody has decided to to stat out a golem in that material. Um, also, second edition expanded golems into lesser and greater golems, so that uh, you had more variety, even. But yeah, so so there's a ton, and even on D and D Beyond, if you look at the homebrews, there's a million homebrew golems on there because people like them. They're they're fun. Oh my god, I just brought up pictures of brain golems. Yeah. Is it made of brains? Uh, it is made of brains. It's super disturbing. Brains. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just sick a bunch of zombies after it and you're golden. I mean, yeah, really. <laughs> so, well, you so you if you go into a dungeon and you expect some golems, you need a herd of rust monsters, uh, a herd of zombies. zombies. <laughs> yeah. Hammer I, golem, I get. I don't know. I don't use them. There's some that's weird. A whole lot. I use them occasionally. They do we've, make We've run into some golems. You have. And usually they're sidekicks for wizards. Powerful wizards or clerics, uh, because spellcasters usually need somebody to stand in front of them and and protect them. And golems are perfect for that. They get really angry when you kill them too. Yes, because yeah. they're expensive. They, they cost are. money. All right. So next one, helmed horror, and the helmed horror. I had a trouble tracking this one down. Truthfully, now. This has a special place in my mind because it's one of the few creatures in 5th edition that is immune to force damage. There's like four creatures that are immune to force damage, and the Helmed Horror is one of them. That's just something important to know as a dungeon master, <laughs> in, in my mind at least. And I'm pretty sure that the first appearance of the Helmed Horror was in the Halls of the High King in 1990 by Ed Greenwood, and that probably would have been 2nd edition maybe. Should have looked that up. My timeline gets a little fuzzy that late. Uh, but then it was put into the Monstrous Compendium Annual Volume 1 in, in 1994. And the Helmed Horror is sort of another peculiar one. It's just a big, empty set of animated armor. So what's the difference between this and animated armor? The Helmed Horror has intelligence. Yeah, it has intelligence. Oh. So they are intelligent guardians. And... They also get a bunch of special abilities. They can see invisible. They get dark vision. They can levitate. So that's how they sort of move around. And they can regain their hit points through rest, unlike a lot of other constructs that have to be healed. And not only are they immune to force damage, but in early D&D, Magic Missile would actually heal it. Uh, not so much on this one. No. But this 5th uh, edition does have certain spell immunity to three spells chosen by its creator. Typically, those are heat, fireball, uh, heat metal, fireball, and lightning bolt. I suppose uh, you could pick magic missile. What does it have? It, what's uh, on the stat block? Does it say immunity, force damage? Uh, yes, force, yeah. necrotic, and poison. Yeah. So magic missile does force damage, so you don't even need to worry about it. Yeah. And again, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical 
magical attacks that are not adamantine. Yeah, so most of these constructs, you need magic or adamantine. Unlike werewolves where you need silver, these are where you need the adamantine weapons. Yep. Uh, the fifth edition, I don't know, does it uh, explain, is it kind of a mindless yet skillful fighter in first edition? Or I guess it'd be second edition? They no, I think they they had intelligence. Truthfully, I don't have the listing for that because I don't collect. I don't have the Monstrous Compendium Volume One. But my understanding is that even back then they were intelligent. Okay, and basically, and that is carried over to fifth edition. Yeah. So when you want when you want that thing guarding your lair, but you don't want to have to be there to direct it. Okay, homunculus. Finally, we get into a monster. That is original monster manual, AD&D monster manual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny because when I look these up, I see the pictures and I just, I sort of have a warm, fuzzy feeling because I can remember seeing those pictures. And the homunculus picture, he's like looking around a flower pot or something, <laughs> which, yeah. which is totally random. You know, other creatures are, you know, mid-combat or, you know, snarling. And the homunculus, it's just... And he's got this really bulbous kind of comedic comic book cartoonish nose. Yeah, like a gnome. The yeah. Like an <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the early gnomes were like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the... Maybe they like flowers. Homunculus, again, was created by a magic user. So it was a created creature through magic or an alchemist. They, they allowed... Described hereafter... And um, it can fly and walk on its hind legs. It can bite. But if it here's the, the cool thing that I had forgotten, actually. If it bites you, you have to make a saving throw or you fall in a, into a comatose sleep for 5 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And that's That'll sort of nasty. Right of I mean, they're, they're, they only have a six armor class, which isn't that great, and one attack for one to three. Damage, so they're not big damage dealers, but that bite will like yep. knock people out. Which, yep, which fifth, is sort of cool. yeah. Fifth edition is um, one piercing damage if the bite succeeds, and the target must succeed a DC ten Constitution saving throw or be poisoned for one minute. Yeah, and here's the thing with poison: disadvantage on attack rolls. Mm -hmm. Whoop de do, <laughs> like, and and you probably get to remake the save at the end of every uh, or at the end of one of your turns, right? Uh. It does not say that, but really? okay. if your saving throw fails by five or more, you are also unconscious for five okay. to ten minutes. But it's a DC or, 10. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. For, yes. This, mm -hmm. So you need to roll. The, now, one's not an auto fail on saving throws. So even a one would beat that if you had a plus four on your yeah. con. So either you're proficient with con or you have a good. So, yeah, I guess you could fail by one or more, but then, yeah, of course, you always have inspiration, so... Right. But if you send two or three of those things after you, and you get maybe bit a couple of times... Yeah, but they, they don't travel in herds, because they're expensive to make. So, in, oh. you know, first edition, they <laughs> cost you a pint of blood and five, <laughs> 500 to 2,000 gold pieces. Yeah, unless I'm missing something, they don't get much into the uh, how you make these things. Yeah, they don't in fifth do edition. that for, for anything really greg would you agree that this guy looks a little bit like the uh, gremlins after they've been fed yeah maybe a little bit in fifth edition i should say yeah that one does it they're they're a little more sort of bulbous than in first edition they're, they're sort of a little goofier looking they're almost like 
in fifth edition they almost like cuted him up like yeah mm-hmm. it looks yeah, like something like a little kid you could get a stuffed animal for that yeah well it's gremlins yeah yeah and then they would like they play dollhouse with it and have tea and stuff and uh, and then it bites you which if we can sort of diverge for a for a little bit here so no. one of the things i was thinking about when i was doing this is you know there's a lot of words like homunculus yeah that how many how many of us knew that word before we started playing D? not at all not at all unless you were a very avid reader yeah uh, i had heard it before but i think i got it out of a comic book well so. you didn't start playing D until you were like 37 so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> busting on greg nah. so there's a lot of words. Palladium. There's yeah. a lot of words that D and D taught people who played D and D. Absolutely. And I started thinking. You guys know about Dr. Seuss, right? Absolutely. And he just had like his yep. his hundredth birthday or something. Mm-hmm. There's some celebration yeah. for him. Well, they should have children's books for D and D, and they should incorporate all those words that you can learn through D and D, so these little kids can can you know expand their vocabulary and learn how to read and game at the same time. This is that this is handy. a a classic idea. So, wow, have, you're really wanting these kids to get beat up early in yeah. school, aren't you? Well, if everybody's doing it, then it's the new cool thing. That is true. Yeah. That is true. So I have come up with with a Dr. Seuss-inspired children's book. Now, instead of Dr. Seuss, because obviously that's already taken, mm-hmm. I, I am and because that wasn't his real name. He had a different name. Yeah, Theodore Geisel. So yes. my author is named Dr. Izzet, D-R-I-Z-Z-T. No. <laughs> also, no. <laughs> the the drow with the twin scimitars. Oh uh, it works. It I think works, we're going right? to get sued. Yeah. If anybody have any real, you know, importance listening okay. to this, we're going to get sued. So, Thank God they so don't. So here, here is my children. I don't have a title for the book yet. This is this is a first draft. Okay. But I'm, but it's pretty good already. I have to say. <laughs> okay. Dungeons and Dragons. I want to play. Cast some spells. Engage in melee. <laughs> This is good for like three-year-olds. This would be <laughs> onto the table. Toss a polyhedral. I prefer my games to be more cerebral. <laughs> this is a vocabulary it. builder for sure. That's right. I mean, these kids—they're not going to get made fun of. They're mm-hmm. going to know their stuff. <laughs> yeah, certainly. They're going to be tested out as gifted. That's right. Attacking left and right with my bardiche, searching for treasures, searching the niche. <laughs> Finishing combat, covered in offal, clerics pristine, he was ethereal. Okay, that doesn't really yeah, rhyme. That, that doesn't yeah. rhyme at all. Well, okay. that like, you know, hit well, the brakes right there. One. Okay. Maybe, maybe I have to say it with some sort of an accent to get it right. <laughs> the magic user... You don't do accents. <laughs> the magic user may be clairvoyant, but with blades... I am puissant. Okay, that doesn't rhyme. That's not all either. That's two in a row. It's coming okay. apart. <laughs> the paladin, he may be overly stern. As for myself, I prefer taciturn. Huh? Uh-huh. All right, he's kind of back on track. Okay. He's rhyming. Yeah. Detecting the sigil by its dwemer. Detecting the glow, gold by its glimmer. That's close. That's better. Okay. Yeah. Not great. <laughs> a periopt and sensor we did acquire. I love the word periopt. I periopt, love that. Yeah. I mean, all these words. Yes, these are 10 cent words. That. A periopt and sensor we did acquire. A fitting reward after ochre and mire. Now there is... Ochre? Yeah. Yeah, that's like slimy stuff. Okay. 
Departing. I always thought it was, was Icker. That's what I was thinking Icker. too. Icker. Yeah, Icker is a I color. Oh, maybe I mistyped that yep. one. Ochre is a color. Icker. Okay, Icker and Meyer. Yeah, there you go. Departing the dungeon in our wagon jalopy to the temple we go to cure some lycanthropy. Okay, also. Lycanthropy. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So it may need work. It was the first draft. May? <laughs> but but I think, and I didn't work in homunculus. Yeah, you didn't, yeah. Uh, I need to lend you my um, Call of Cthulhu Dr. Seuss book I picked up at Gen I, Con. I, I actually oh, bought I've that one for that. my nephew. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. yeah. I was so, going to loan it to one of my coworkers, and then I actually, you know, reread through the whole thing, and I'm thinking, yeah, some of this is maybe not appropriate because there's a lot of dead people in it. Yeah, <laughs> it was only like that Call of Cthulhu book's only like 10 bucks or something. It was pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah I got a really good deal on yeah. it. All right, back to what we were talking about. So, we are, where are we at? We're at uh, the Marut. The Marut. I can't find that in 5th edition. No. Oh, it's there. Marut? I think. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm I looking on. I'm not. Maybe I have it spelled wrong. Well, that would be an issue. Okay. Well, Marut. The first came out Manual of the Plains 1987. And again, just like we saw the Beholder sort of spawned a ton of other Beholders. The Marut basically was an angel golem. So we took a golem and we made it into the service of a god. So they were giant, unliving creatures carved from polished black stone and dressed in gold armor. Sort of replaced Modrons in that, and we're going to talk about Modrons next. Modrons are these creatures that were sort of all about law, but they were relatively mindless. So the Marut instead became a creature all about law, but sort of was smart. And their code was that thou shall not cheat death. So basically, they were good creatures for hunting down like liches and vampires. They they did not like those creatures because they didn't think it was right that people were cheating death. So um, Internet says uh, the Marut is in Mordenkainen's. Oh, there you so go. it's in there. Okay, yeah, so I just got to go to Morden Canaan's. Well, it should be the whole. Oh, you you're looking in a. You can't look you're at the one list. who told me where to go, and um, I'll tell you where to go. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking, uh, doing a quick search on Marut, and I found this thing called Marut Tactics, and it's in a book called "The Monsters Know What They're Doing: Combat Tactics for Dungeon Masters." Yeah, sounds like an interesting thing on how to kill your players. There's a <laughs> lot of books like that. Killing players is not hard. <laughs> no. Um, so Marut is. Uh, challenge rating 25. They have 22 armor class and 432 hit points. It is one of the Which, tougher creatures. Well, there that's we an go. interesting choice of not well before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hmm. They have innate spell casting. They can plane shift at will, which is always handy, especially if you like want to get away. Yeah. They have the legendary resistances and magic resistance, so they get advantage against saves for magical effects. They make their two slam attacks and... The unerring slam <laughs> is a melee weapon attack, and it's an auto hit. So it just automatically hits, mm -hmm. no roll involved, and it does That's sixty force cool. damage and pushes the feet, uh, the target up to five feet away. Yeah, I love this blazing edict. Yeah, so that's something that has to recharge on a five or a six. But good, you can read that one. Arcane energy emanates from the Marut's chest in a sixty-foot cube. 
Every creature in that area takes 45 radiant damage, and each creature that takes any of this damage must, must succeed on a DC 20 wisdom throw or be stunned until the end yeah, of the Maruti's turn. Stunned is nasty, right? It's, it's Iron Man's Unibeam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, and then there's also a Justify. They can target two creature, up to two creatures within 60 feet. They have to make a DC 20 Charisma saving throw, which is everybody's favorite dump stat in 5th edition. So, uh, and if they fail, they are teleported to a teleportation circle in the Hall of Concordance in Sigil. Uh, and if you fail, you're automatically incapacitated. Um, and then the te- Marut Mar- teleports to you, basically. So basically, it's like it's bringing you in. Yep. So it can just sort of say, hey, you and you. Let's go, and you go. And again, they're cosmic enforcers. Their word is law. Now, even though they're nasty, they're lawful neutral. So they're not the kind of creatures who's going to come after you in most cases for no reason. you got to be doing something to, to peeve them off. But if they do track you down, they're pretty tough. They, they were pretty tough back then or pretty tough back now. I mean, it's basically a, nice. a golem on steroids or a golem. <laughs> Golem. Golem. Okay. Golem. So, so far, we've had one creature, the Golem, well, two, the Golem and the homunculus homunculus from the original Monster Manual. Everything else comes after that. And here's another one, the Modrons, which have a whole huge mythology. Didn't show up until Monster Manual 2, which is still AD&D. It was pretty late. But originally, they were from the plane of Nirvana. Uh, in AD&D, planes had alignments associated with them, and whatever alignment Nirvana was, I don't remember. They That's where they stuck them. But then later on, no, they, never mind. they changed them to Mechanus, um, and that was in the Planescape setting. They sort of messed, did a lot more development with the planes in Planescape, obviously. And they are exemplars of the lawful neutral alignment. And... There's a whole big mythology around them, but basically they're based on geometric shapes. So you have the monodrones. Not only are they just sort of like rectangles, because it's hard to reflect a one-sided object, they, or maybe they're round, I forget. I think the monodrones might be round. They can only follow one command at a time, which if their command is attack, it just attacks everything. Oh, nice. Right? Then you have the duo drone. Maybe the duo drone is the the square it's, one. Yeah, it's two uh, two rectangles. Yeah, and they can follow two commands, so they're a little better. Uh, the tri drone is like a little cubey looking thing, an upside down cube, and it can follow three commands. So now they're they're pretty pretty big deals. And then the next one is a quad drone, I believe, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that actually begin to attain some sort of sentience. They they can actually have enough intelligence that you could consider them sentient. All the ones below them, they just follow whatever directions. And they have a whole... In the original setup, they had eight of these sort of mindless laborer types and then eight of the... I forget what they call them, greater uh, modrons or something. And they sort of oversaw everything. And if one of them was destroyed, then they somebody would... Be, they would be replaced. It's all very orderly. That's their big thing. Everything happens according to uh, procedure and rules. They're essentially like really early AI 
like mm-hmm. garbage in, garbage out yeah. kind of AI. Yeah. They exist as a unified collective divided by ranks, yet always refer to themselves collectively. Kind of like the Borg. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But not as smart as the Borg. No. no. Now, the other part of Modrons, which are interesting, is they have this concept called the Great Modron March. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. essentially, it's like, you know, remember when you saw those, like, ants that would just be, like, yeah. traveling from mm-hmm. one place to another, and they would just go over and under? That's what the Modrons do. But the Modrons aren't ants. They're much bigger, and they're far more destructive, because <laughs> if there's something in their way, they'll just, like, demolish awesome. it. So there was, like, one story where they negotiate with a town to go a specific route to prevent this destruction. But then 300 years later at the next Modern March, the town had grown up and that route was no longer the route they should go. Well, the Modern was like, no, this was the, this is the rule we follow that we negotiated. We're going to go through it. Demolish, you know, and there's, there was an adventure based around trying to minimize the damage these Modrons would do because they're, they're essentially mindless. So, and interesting, there was, I ran a couple or played in a couple adventures with Modrons in Adventures League, there's a set out there. It's it's interesting, and Mechanist is an interesting place. It's all gears and stuff, you know. Now, there's one other construct in quotes from early D and D that's in Fifth Edition. In Fifth Edition, it's the Rug of Smothering. The Rug of Smothering. The Rug of Smothering. Now, you did we run into one of those? Uh maybe. I don't I don't know. But here's the thing. You're not going to find the rug of smothering in the Monster Manual or the Monster Manual 2 or the Manual of the Planes. It was in AD&D, but it was in the DM's Guide because it was a magic item. And I think this is the first time we have run into a magic item, a magic item that became a creature. So reading hmm. from the Dungeon Master's Guide, the rug of smothering, this finely woven carpet resembles a carpet of flying and will give off magical radiations if detected for. Oh, they ended this sentence in a preposition. That's uncharacteristic. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, the character seating himself or herself upon it and giving a command will be surprised, however, if the rug of smothering will tightly roll itself around that individual and suffocate her or him, him or her, in 3d6 rounds the rug cannot be physically prevented from so wrapping itself and the rug can be prevented from smothering his victim only by the casting of any one of the following spells alter reality animate object hold plant or wish so if you don't have one of those those four spells spells, you're dead yeah three to six rounds that's so that's dnd that's now when people say was was a dnd more deadly than fifth edition yes Yes, like yeah. if your dungeon master threw this in, especially if he knew no one had that spell, then right. Yeah. Those spells, I mean, alter wish, reality, yeah. wish are very. There was a ninth level or seventh level, if they're cleric, because cleric stopped out at seventh level spells. Animate object, I think, was still probably third level, and a hold plant was like, I think that was druid only, maybe. Well, and let's face it, who's going to pick that one too? Yeah, what the hell it's, does that spell do? Not. Now, 5th edition, we turn it into a monster. How do we What's do that? It's the florist spell. Well, uh, armor class of 12, 33 hit points. It still does the same sort of thing where it's uh, smothering. Uh, but it can be incapacitated in the area of an anti-magic field. And oh. if targeted by a dispel magic, it must succeed on a constitution saving throw against the caster's spell. Uh, save DC. Or it becomes unconscious for one minute. The interesting thing is that if you're attacking it with a weapon... 
it takes half of the damage while the other half of the damage transfers to the person being grappled by the rug of smothering. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, which which is, is a nice mechanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, I think the cloaker might have the same thing. Can you bring down a carpet of flying with a dispel magic? Uh, it would have a temporary effect. Okay. But yeah, you could. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> you can do dispel magic is an underused spell in fifth edition. Everybody's like yeah. counterspell, counterspell, counterspell. But a, dis, a, a dispel magic, and there's actually a cleric build that lets you when you heal somebody. It's one of the cleric uh, uh, archetypes. Lets you dispel an effect that's on that character mm-hmm. as part of the healing spell. Nice. It's just sort of a bonus. And that's that can be really handy at higher levels because you see a lot more of those those effects. Okay, so a couple other ones that we're gonna veer off of what we normally do. We're essentially out of first edition. Now, one other thing I want to point out: we haven't mentioned Fiend Folio at all, right? Which a lot of the other those categories wacky British Fiend mm-hmm. Folio creatures. I guess the the Brits, our cousins across the pond, they don't really like constructs that much because I looked through the entire Fiend Folio. And I found one thing that would qualify as a construct. And they had a caryatid column, which were essentially uh, like stone golems, except, you know, they were columns in that they were a a form. In the picture, they have a a very curvaceous female holding a a sword. There's two of them, one on either side, sort of as an entryway into a, a, a portal with some little beady eyes on the other side. But essentially, they were just defensive columns. So if somebody tried to go through, they would animate. But they were pretty wimpy. 22 hit points, one attack for 2d8. They did. They were resistant to magic, um, but essentially just... just it's it's an animated statue. It's an, uh, essentially an animated statue. Otherwise, nothing from Fiend Folio. All kinds of weird monsters. Yes. <laughs> but not a lot of constructs. Now, there are a couple ones that got added after early D&D that are probably worth mentioning. One of them is the Shield Guardian. And this is a a weird monster. It's essentially, they were, again, created by spellcasters to be bodyguards. And they have their key to a magical amulet. So whoever holds that amulet is the master of the Shield Guardian. It'll obey verbal commands. Um... And I don't know if you have... Do you have an intelligence in 5th edition there? Uh, on the construct on itself? On the shield guardian. It's a 7. 7. So not that smart, but but smarter than, than dogs. Some dogs. <laughs> so, <laughs> not all. Um, they cannot speak, but they can understand the language. And they're sort of nasty. Even back then, um, they had a special ability. They came out... so. They were alluded to early on uh, in the Code of the Harpers, which came out in 1993, which would have been second edition. Uh, Lee Greenwood sort of alluded that there was some guardians, some shield guardians that protected a hall, but they weren't statted out. It's not clear those were he actually sort of met shield guardians. They really appeared in uh, 3.5. And one of their abilities was to shield others. So the wearer of the amulet could activate it if they were within 100 feet, and it transferred the half the damage that the wearer of the amulet took to the shield guardian. So it would sort of act like a, a hit points store. It also could store spells. So you could store spells in it that it could yes. then activate later on. Yep. 
Um, and it, it had a guard ability, so it gave a, a minus to hit its master. I'm sorry, Eric, you kind of, you didn't misspeak. You misnamed somebody. You said Lee Greenwood yeah. was uh, talking about this or created this. It's Ed Greenwood. Lee. Ed Greenwood. Ed, what am I thinking? All I was hearing was... God bless the USA. That's right. God bless oh, yeah. the USA. <laughs> I, you totally lost me there. <laughs> in my defense, we do record this at like 7.30 in the yeah. morning. So. I had to go in. I was like, how is Lee Ed, Greenwood yeah, of, no, no, no. in Ed any Greenwood. way, shape, God. or form associated Thank with D&D? &D? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you don't play that third devil game. <laughs> Although we could do a song, you know. Yeah. God bless Greyhawk. Um, <laughs> the gods. You'd have to pluralize it. God's, yes. God's bless. And, but with my uh, skill with words and rhyming, I'm sure that would be no problem. God okay. bless Greyhawk all day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Greg right on that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So Shield Guardians, these are sort of awesome to have. And if you have a character that can get a hold of one of these Shield Guardian amulets, you got like your little flunky that follows you around and protects you. Still see, still see them in Adventures League. They finally sort of got rid of them. They, they said, no, oh, you can't really have them anymore because it, it does make everything take twice as long when you, everybody has their little flunky in combat. So they take their action, they take their flunky's action. But sort of a cool creature. Anything else you want to add from Fifth Edition? Uh, you, it's not changed that much. It yeah. really hasn't. Yeah, well, there hasn't been a ton of time. 3.5 and 5th edition are more similar than AD&D and 5th edition, I would say. That's did, it, fair. did you mention the regeneration? No. Okay, in 5th edition, it has uh, uh, regains 10 hit points at the start of its first round. If it, it has at least one hit point. Okay, is there a way to stop that, like fire uh, acid, like other creatures? Uh, Probably not, if it doesn't No, say. it does Beat not. Beat the say. snot out of it. Yeah. yeah. Stop it. Literally, you just got to knock it down. Nice. 142 hit points on average. Yeah. Okay, the last one is the nimble right. And this is not as commonly known, but it's sort of a cool creature. Uh, again, it came out in 3.5 in the Monster Manual 2. And their description is, nimble rights are rapier-wielding constructs that disguise themselves as living humanoids. They often serve as hired bodyguards, but many are employed to infiltrate organizations and secret societies or spy on individuals. Unlike most constructs, a nimble right is created with intelligence and a distinct personality that allows for intuitive thinking and responsiveness. Like a golem, a nimble right is a powerful creation that combines awesome magic with elemental forces. So essentially, it's sort of like Pinocchio, but scaled up. Mm -hmm. And they have really cool artwork in 5th edition. They got this, this guy, and, and you know they imply that a different, you know, it has to disguise itself. So an undisguised nimble, nimble right appears as a nondescript steel-colored mechanical human. When disguised, it wears clothes and uses spells to hide its true nature. So then it can appear as any medium-sized humanoid creature. Apparently it appeared in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Yes, there's oh. one in there. It even uh, references a nimble right detector. Yes, there in the, <laughs> in the module you have to you have to track down the nimble right and, and one of the NPCs has made a nimble right detector. Um, it's kind of cool. And it sort of fills a niche and technically like you could turn that into a player character race pretty easily. Yeah. Like I'm not a fan of of Eberron. Well, yeah, I was going to maybe bring that up. Yeah, and the Warforged you know, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Yeah, because yeah, when I when I started looking that up, and yeah, and it's 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 well known that none of us care for Eberron at all. Yeah, ironically, I'm going to run the Eberron <laughs> Epic at Gary Cox. Yeah, well, but <laughs> this year you don't really have a choice if you want to 
Well, I just had, epic. I had a slot. But uh, I yeah, because yeah, when I was searching, uh, Warforged were always described as uh, living constructs, a living construct subtype that gained sentience and free will and became a player character class. Yeah. So it sounds like a nimble ride is just a like step a war, below war that. Warforges like, are like, more like bulky. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. you know, nimble rights. They sort of have like a cavalier, three yeah, musketeers yeah, the, look. The to illustration, actually, he looked pretty jaunty, had the had the hat. They have panache, Warforged. I don't do think not. you would ever mistake a Warforged for being a, you know, an actual person, living no. person. No, they're, they're sort of very mechanical looking. They're armored, heavily armored, you know, and it's all where nimble right can pass yeah. for a normal person. It's got the nimble. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's got a whole different feel to it. And and sort of if we got one tip from this, if you haven't incorporated a nimble right into your campaign, it's got a lot of role play characteristics that would be fun to play with. You yeah. know, it, it can pass itself off as a human, but it's it's a construct. And there could be a lot of fun there on, you know, as a group of PCs running into a nimble right and not knowing what's going on. I always like to keep PCs in the dark initially. Uh, it, it initially. For that aha moment. Yeah, well, <laughs> much of the time. You know, the campaign's only been going on for six years, Greg, so. I know. I'm catching up. <laughs> so we're, we're figuring it out. So that we, are is, in our, we are in our second group of characters, so. That's, well, the first group is still around. They're just sort of hanging out. Vacationing. Yes. So that is constructs. Not as many constructs as most of the other creatures. Surprisingly, well, but you got those golems in there, and they, uh, we run into those often enough that they're a thing. Yeah, I, I so. use a golem. I, I really want to work a nimble right in at some point. I have to wait till you forget. That'll be probably be like three or four days, and then I can <laughs> give me that long. Really? And I can work like it tomorrow. In. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sort of toying with the idea of a nimble right NPC. That that sounds like an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, well, our characters are all sort of not the nicest people so we might not have a problem with it that's so, true yeah they're on the redemption arc it's just the arc has a negative inflection it's just <laughs> yes it kind of does <laughs> well greg we've constructed a uh, segue for you so oh, nice well if you want Take to us uh, tell us about your constructs and all of your problems with golems or golems you can find us on facebook where we're the grognards on Twitter, we are at tgrognards. On Instagram, we are the underscore grognards, should we ever go there. And if you want to send us an email, we would love to hear from you, where we are gamers at thegrognards.com. For the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on.